0: All right. Let's get ready to open up the scriptures. thought about, I want to share a story that I think will uh, help us guide towards where we're going to go this morning. Uh, it happened in uh, this time of year in 1998. I was engaged to be married to a young lady by the name of Tanya May Brahm. She was the one that was singing up here. Um, she opened up with, if you were here, that first song. Uh, just as beautiful today as she was then. I'm deeply in love with this girl. I'd finished a two-year uh, Bible school in upstate New York and was in a transition point. I come home for a break, which would have been Christmas break. I'm getting ready to go back up to that school to work on staff Tanya was living in this area. Uh, she's from Michigan and moved to this area to kind of get ready for the wedding. And um, she had been doing a lot of work preparing for the wedding. And uh, so I stepped in and said, well, I'll, you know, I'll plan the honeymoon. That's what I'm going to do. So because I was in school and getting ready to go back, I, I used this Christmas season to do that. Now, for those of you who were living in 1998, know that these devices that we have today and computers and the internet, it, it, was, a, it was not around. So how do you plan a honeymoon? And some of you are going, how do you do that? I mean, what do you do? Well, I did things like I went to the library. I went to a place called Borders Bookstore. Some of you remember Borders. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, I would get these things called brochures. You ever hear of a brochure? Some of you are going, what is a brochure? A brochure? <laughs> what is a brochure? So I got these things, brochures. I looked at pictures and made a lot of phone calls and I finally come across and I zero in on this place and I'm like, man, this is it. I want you to picture this place with me. Okay, I'm going to tell you about it. Here's what I'm reading about, ultimately zeroed in on. So I'm reading about this place and it has its own private indoor, in the room, okay, get this, indoor swimming pool. That cool or what? Private swimming pool. It has its own private indoor sauna. Off of these things, it has its own private deck. Then it has its own. it has its own actual, not a gas fireplace, but actually you burn logs in this thing. Uh, so then on top of it all off, it has its own ready for this? Heart-shaped jacuzzi hot tub. What more do you need, right? I mean, this is it. I'm in. So I, um, and then to top the whole thing off, it's an all-inclusive package. So they have, so they cover all our meals. They cover uh, if we wanted to go skiing. Um, That's a whole other story and stuff. You ever hear that one? I've thought about telling that. Uh, My wife grew up skiing. I did not. We actually skied, or she skied. I don't know what I did. Um, (laughs) Skiing, horseback riding was available to us. Ice skating, tennis. Um, so we had all this stuff right our fingers. We needed to try and figure out what to do. So I'm like, I'm in. I got it. And I had, to, so, so I booked this place in this time of year, have all the way to March, look forward to it. March 13th, 1999 finally comes around. I couldn't wait. We go, we did our wedding early in the morning. I had five days of time to do this, get this honeymoon in. So we get married early, get to the Poconos, get to the place that's called Mount Airy Lodge. We, I walk to the front desk. They give us the key. We get back in our car. We drive out to where, kind of, it's like, a, it's like a, a whole row of cabins kind of all connect. All excited, walk in. It's dark outside at this point, so I unlock the door. I throw the first light, which only kind of lights up the kind of the entry foyer area, and then I just freeze. I freeze. I look around the room, and what I see walks straight out of the 1970s, (laughs) and this was 1999. I just kind of look and I'm like, oh boy, that baby blue, you know, something of the color, that baby blue wall and this, I'm just standing there like holding my breath and I turn to my bride who's now kind of right off to my right as I, as I remember it. I look at her and I say, um, what do you think? <laughs> something like that, I don't know where exact words. and Tanya, Tanya if you know Tanya, she'll kind of roll with it. She's easy to please that way. She didn't get all wrapped up in that. So she's like, I don't remember what she said, but she's like, I like it, or whatever she said. So we move in. Now, at that moment, at that moment, what was the problem? The problem wasn't the room. The problem was the picture of the room that I had in my head. What I have found about life, I've learned this a lot. This is just one story where I think you guys could tell lots of stories like this. What screws us up most in life is the picture in our heads, is of what it should be. It's kind of like I know in my head what it should look like. What screws us up most in life is the picture in our heads of how it's supposed to be. We have a picture in our head of what kind of job we should have, what our kids should behave like, what kind of school they should go to. We have a picture in our head of what our marriage should be like, of what our husband should be like, how we maybe should load the dishes more in the dishwasher. We have a picture of our wife and what she should look like and how maybe she should cook three square meals a day. Uh, we have this picture in our head of all these things, of the ideal husband, the ideal wife, the ideal job, the ideal... We have these pictures in our head, but they don't often line up with reality, do they? And what I find, the sad thing is, what I find what happens when our pictures come in contact with reality. When the picture of that room came in contact with reality, we often have a tendency to challenge reality, not the picture. Does that make sense how we do that? Can I I, kind of relate to that? Instead of adjusting our lives to say, oh, I have it wrong, we get disappointed, discouraged, discouraged, let down, grumpy, angry, because this is not lining up with this. And we miss and we're not present anymore then with this. And while often what can ultimately happen, it didn't happen in this setting, but ultimately can happen, soon the problem moves from the room to well, the whole lodge is bad, to you know what? <sighs> The Poconos. The Poconos is the dumbest place you're ever going to vacation in your life. As soon as it just gets bad, it just goes bad on us. All because I had a picture of what it should look like and it didn't line up with reality. This is, I think, a big problem in life. Helen Keller who lived in 1888, 1960. I think I use this quote because I think it's one that I think you're familiar with. Many of you are familiar with Helen Keller. She was an author, a political activist. Uh, She was, I didn't realize this week, she was the first blind and deaf student to earn a Bachelor's of Arts degree uh, here in America, uh, which was kind of neat. But she has this famous quote, the only thing worse than being blind, (laughs) the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. I love this. How many of us have vision? We have sight, we all have sight, but how many of us can really see, how many of us are eyes really open to what's happening in life, to what's really gone on? I think seeing isn't seeing at all without the gift of sight. Let me use one more illustration and we're going to open up the scriptures. i want to put a picture up for you. What do you guys see? Rocks, someone said rocks, I love it. Who said that? Way to go. You see rocks, right? pretty rocks, pebbles. How many of you see more than rocks? So put, a, put your hand up. A few of you. Now you're going, I should see more. Now you're looking harder, right? You're like, okay, what's there? Right? Now I'm going to give you help. And after you see it, you're going to have a hard time not seeing it. There's a person laying in those rocks. Now that you see it, now that when you look at the picture, it's all you can see, right? You're like, oh yeah, look at that. It's like glows right, it jumps right off at you. I think this is life far too often for us. We're looking at a pile of rocks. We don't really see. And we live disappointed because I got a pile of rocks. But we miss the beauty of what's laying right there in them. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, page 572, and the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. I would say if you don't have a Bible, grab that Bible, use it. I would even invite you to take it home with you. I would say it's our. How about Merry Christmas? That will be our gift from us to you this year. I just encourage you to go home and read that. Isaiah chapter nine. I'm going to read a verse to you. If you are brand new to church, if you've never read the Bible before in your life, there is a good chance you have heard these verses. You've likely heard these verses maybe walking in the mall with the Christmas carols playing in the background, maybe driving to your, driving the job in the morning with the, with the Christmas music playing in the radio and you catch this, maybe Pandora's playing. This, this is a, this is one of the hallmark Christmas verses. Now here's the thing about this verse. I want to share this with you. This verse was written 700 years before Jesus ever came to this earth in the form of a man, 700 years So there's a lot of, I tell you, because I want you to think about through those 700 years, the perceptions, the ideas, the pictures in the mind that begin to form as you read these over 700 years. Here we go. Verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice and the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, when you read this, when I read this, I think what the people had in mind was far different than what showed up 2,000 years ago. When you read this, just think about the way it ends. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies. I hear a warrior in that. I hear passion and energy. As I read this, the government of peace will never end. It's the government and all the world's going to rest on his shoulders. I hear someone who's going to step in with, with authority, with royalty. I hear someone who's going to step in. And, and, and I think most of Israel, when they heard this, that's what they have in mind. The picture in their mind is something far different than what showed up. And what showed up, I believe many missed what God was doing and wanted to do because the picture they had in their mind was so different. Think about what showed up. Some of you know the story well. What showed up? A teenage girl who was pregnant out of wedlock, wasn't yet married. Royalty is going to come from that? Mary and Joseph coming from a place of poverty, coming from a, a region, of, a town of Nazareth. And in that day and age, there was a statement that nothing good comes from Nazareth. You, you picture a baby who's being born where well, there is no place for this baby to stay. And, and we, we, we picture, I mean, we have, a, we have this uh, nativity at home in our house, and many of you probably have nativity sitting around. We picture this cleaned up little stable. This was likely a cave, a hole dug in the side of a mountain and a rock. They would have stank and been cold and damp with horse and donkey manure all around. I think that's what what shows up, but it doesn't square with the picture in the head, does it? I think people missed it. They missed it. It's ultimately what takes Jesus to the cross. Their eyes were blind to what God wanted to do right in the middle of them. You know, I find this to be true a lot of of life, and there's an enemy of our soul. His name is Satan, Uh, and here's what it says of Satan. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You know, I hear people talk about Satan, how Satan... Satan took my wife, Satan took my marriage, Satan took my job, Satan, I'm poor because of Satan, I'm, life is horrible because of Satan. That may be true, but that's not Satan's main objective. I think Satan makes some of us very rich because it keeps us blind. Satan's number one objective in life, his number one objective is to keep your eyes shut the beauty of what God wants to do in your life, to the beauty of who he is, who Jesus is. And I think that Jesus shows up on that night and all the people had this preconceived idea of what it was going to be and it didn't fit in their box. Their eyes weren't open to it. There were a few who were. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. There were a few who grabbed it and saw it. But I'm going to ask the team um, that was up here earlier, I'm going to ask them to play a song for us. They're going to come up to the stage now. And, uh, and as they come, as they sing this song, it's a song about asking God to help open our eyes. The clouds that kind of can descend on life, and sometimes we, because of the clouds, we, we miss things. And so asking for that silver lining. So as they're singing, what I want to ask is, what is your perspective on God? Think about what is the picture in your mind of who he is? What picture do you have? And to kind of help prime the pump, I don't know some of you, some of you grew up in church. You were in a place like this every time the doors were open. This is just kind of what you do. You go to church. But your heart, if you're really honest, your heart is so cold to Him. You're going through the motions, but it's distant. And if He were to show up right now in the middle of us, you'd miss it. You'd be disappointed probably. Some of you in this room, uh, your perspective on God is he's, he's cold, he's harsh, he's caused nothing but loss and hardship and trauma in my life. You've cried out to him, you've prayed to him, you've begged him, you've pleaded with him, and it seems like no matter how hard you pray, the heavens are closed to you. The matter of fact, some of you begin to think, well, the more I pray, <laughs> the worse it gets. So your perspective is this distant, cold, detached, uncaring guy in the sky. And I think you miss what he's doing right in the middle of your pain and heartache. Some of you, you're caught up with, with your stuff, your career. Nothing wrong with your stuff or your career. I'm glad you have your stuff, your house, your kids. But the cares of life, of your perspective on life... You're more worried about what color are you going to paint the walls? How about the throw pillows, the carpet? What school are my kids going to go to? The corner office I'm working myself towards? The car that I need to repair, replace? The stuff I can't wait to open under the tree tomorrow? And the cares of life, Or I'm going to pay the credit card bill next month of all the stuff that I put under the tree for my kids? And the cares of life, if God showed up, you're so consumed with the cares of life, that you're going to miss him. Some of you have had loss, mistakes, shame, guilt, brokenness, and your perspective is God's done. He's done. I've had my shot. I've had my run. But you know what? I can't recover from the affair. I can't recover from the addiction. I can't recover from, from the divorce. I can't recover from, I can't recover, My perspective is I'm on the sideline now. I'm never going to quite be center stage like I'd like to be or like God would like to be, and I think we miss what he wants to do. We have this preconceived idea. Some of you, some of you in this room, I think a number of you, I look out, I know a number of you this is true of, you're students of the Bible. I would consider myself in this position. I'm a student of the Scriptures. I study it. I'm passionate about it. I pray, yet I wonder... I wonder, I wonder if God can work inside of my theological boxes. I think sometimes, you know, if He were to really show up and do what He does, <laughs> I'm not sure it would fit inside my box. And I'd like, likely miss it or be disappointed. But listen to the team as they sing the song and allow it to just kind of push in on you. And then the cry, and there's going to be some cool elements on the screen. Just, just kind of step into this and say, okay, God, are my eyes open? to you, and what you want to do in me. So what does it take to give up that control? To open your eyes, to see the silver lining? I'm going to love some of the lines of that song, Steady My Heart, Help Me to Trust the Unseen. But I've learned to give up that control, to be able to see, what do we need? To be able to see in a room, what do you need? You need light you got to have light. If you don't have light, you can't see. If you're there in Isaiah, let's continue. I want to just kind of wrap this message up. Look at the beginning of the verses we didn't read that lead into this. I think they help us to see. They help us to open our eyes up. And here it comes. Isaiah chapter 9, there again, of page 572. And the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. Verse 1 it reads this way. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Let the hope of these verses set in for you. Maybe some of you are in a time of darkness and despair. The nation of Israel during this writing would have been in a time of darkness and despair. It says, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future. Remember, this is 700 years before Jesus came. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory now I could spend, we could spend hours unpacking the beauty of that, the history of what we're talking about here. It's not our purpose this morning, I won't do it, but do some of you that know your Bible geography, know the sea that they're talking about, the, the Jordan River, the area that they specifically named 700 years before Jesus ever came is the exact region where Jesus spent 33 years of his life. And it says it's coming out of a time of darkness. And look at verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I want to pause there. Remember I mentioned the, some that, that had their eyes open during the Christmas story. Some of you know the story. If you have your little nativities sitting at home, often you have some wise men and these other group of people called the shepherds. The shepherds in Luke chapter 2, if you read it this week, they're out tending their flock. They're an outcast group of people. They're, they're kind of looked at as kind of the lowest of the low. They're, they're outside of where Jesus was born. And suddenly it says, a heavenly host, it says angels, Appeared and the glory, some of you may even know it, the glory of God shone, it says, round them. The light shows up. Any place God is, there is light. Matter of fact, it speaks of heaven one day, of us not needing the sun, because God Himself will light light heaven for us. He says this, verse 3 You will enlarge the nation of Israel. And it's people will rejoice. So in other words, the nation of Israel, what that is saying, the nation of Israel, many of us in this room, we're not Jewish. But what he's referring to is the Israel is going to enlarge because I'm not a Jew, but I've put my faith and trust in this coming Messiah, Jesus. And so therefore, I've been brought in. I've been grafted in to his chosen people. So you enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They're going to get excited. They will rejoice before you as people rejoicing at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery. Don't miss this picture. You will break the yoke of their slavery. When Jesus came into the world, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, were enslaved to the the foreign conquering land of Rome. So you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. That's looking backwards to an earlier part in our Bible. Again, then verse 5. The boots of the warrior... And the uniforms, blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Now, when I read this, what I begin to realize is you have to be to see, you need a light. You need a light. It needs to come into the darkness. If a light doesn't shine in the darkness, you're never going to be able to see. So you want your perspective to change. You want to be able to see God for who He is. you so got it, you need a light. Now, this light that's going to come, and this, look, verse 4, for you will break the yoke of their slavery, their slavery. I think, again, the perspective, the story that most people would have had in their mind is there is going to come one, who is going to conquer this Roman occupying land. They're they're thinking political. They're thinking geographical. They're thinking someone's going to step in and do this. Then verse 6 comes, For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end his rule with fairness and justice and it goes on to talk so i think the people their preconceived idea is this light is going to shine there's this warrior image of this blood stained it's going to all it's going he's going to take this thing out and man we're going to be free but what i think what they missed i think what they missed is the slavery of their own soul i don't think jesus god just had in mind to free people from the roman occupied land The day will come when his physical kingdom will be here on this earth and there will be no one, no one abusing his people. That day will come. I think what he has in mind here is the slavery of the own soul. It's something we all wrestle with. I love this. John chapter 8, it says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. One of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, writes this. Peter spent intimate moments with Jesus, and he learned this from Jesus, that same echoing of what John just said, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. If you were with us this past fall, we did a series uh, on the road to recovery, we called it. And we talked then, and listen, we are the, if you want to overcome hurts, habits, and hangups in life, one of the first things you've got to do is understand that you're not God. I am not in control, and I cannot fix my life, no matter how hard I try. Oh, my life will get better. There will be things that I will improve, but ultimately all of us left to our own devices have something inside of us that we cannot control. That thing that no matter how hard you try, no matter how many New Year's resolutions you're going to throw at it, you're going to continue to be a slave to it. And I think Jesus, what God is saying is, I'm going to come and I'm going to get rid of that yoke. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to shine a light. I think of John 10.10. Uh, this, again, captures this transition. The, the thief's purpose, I mentioned Satan earlier, this thief is Satan, the purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, to keep you blind. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some of you know, uh, life and life to the fool. I mentioned this verse yesterday as we closed the funeral service, and one of the things that I said, picture the Grinch. Some of you know the story of the Grinch, right? What does the Grinch do on Christmas? He comes in on Christmas Eve. What does he do? I see some kids here. What's he do? Took all the presents under the tree. How many of you would be bummed about that? Right? Some of you, I see some, yeah, right? You're bummed. I mean, it's like, man, they're my presents. Now, when a thief comes in to steal, if he comes in tonight, if we have a Grinch in town and he's going to break into your place and he's going to steal what? What is he going to steal from your house? He's going to take your gifts. I hope he doesn't take your tree. Let's hope he leaves that. I mean, the Grinch was really low in on that one. So, he, so he's going to take your gifts. He might take your big screen TV. He might take your stereo system. He might look for the keys of the car, your wallet, your Visa, your computer, your tablet, your, your uh, Samsung Note 8, your iPhone X. I mean, he's going to go after it, right? You know what the thief is not going to take tonight? He's not going to go to the trash can pull that hefty bag up by its strings, tie it off, throw it over the shoulder, and say, yes, I scored. A thief doesn't take junk. I've never seen a thief steal junk. If they did, it was an accident. They thought it was something valuable, only to find out it was a replica and not worth anything. You are precious in the sight of God. God is for every single one of you. Every single one of you, God has stamped in you and on you his image. And he is for you. He loves you. And he is sending this light to open up your eyes and open up my eyes to see him so that you will have life and life to the full because he knows there's an enemy of your soul. And he's out to take what's precious to God, what's valuable. I love John continues, he says this, Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. The older I get, the more I get up in the middle of the night, so the more we stick put, and this isn't just for the kids because they're afraid of the dark. I know my son, man, he's really afraid of the dark. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, he's a big teenage boy now, so to throw that out. But the, the reality is, we put nightlights around because if you wake up in the middle of the night, what happens? You stumble. You can't see, you can't find your way, so you find nightlights because you need a light. Um, John, John, the same John, writes this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And I love this one. For we live by believing and not by seeing. He, ultimately, when your eyes are opened, when your eyes are opened, as that song played, you see the silver lining. The, the, the reality that you thought you had in your mind, the picture that you had when it's confronted, you begin to step into life saying, you know what? <laughs> it doesn't look right. But I believe I have faith, I have confidence. It's not all lining up, but I know what God said. I'm going to hold to what He said. I'm going to see in my mind the clarity of what He said. Seen isn't seen at all without the gift of sight. Christopher Columbus, who sailed the ocean blue in 1492. Is that right? Kids, I get that right. Did I have that right? Some of you shaking your head. I got it right. <laughs> um, Christopher Columbus, when he sailed across the ocean, everyone thought the world was flat. One of his famous quotes that, of course, who knows, that's written down that he said this, you can never cross the ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Am I encourage some of you right now to lose sight of the shore? To let go of the picture? When I walked into that... that <laughs> Mount Airy Lodge, and I turned the key, and I saw the baby blue walls. The worn out, I mean, the TV, guys. The TV, you should have, I know this was 1998. We didn't have the cool flat screen TVs, but this TV was like this big. It had all these turn knobs all down it. I mean, it was scary. I had a picture I wanted to show you but I thought I'll just let it in your own mind. It's probably better there anyway. When I walked in and I turned that key... If I didn't leave the shore of the picture I had in my mind and step into reality, what would have my honeymoon been like? I've been bad. I didn't want bad. I wanted life. I wanted to enjoy the start with my new bride, Tanya May, now Nagel. So you've got to lose sight of the shore. You've got to step out. Let the picture of your mind, the preconceived ideas go. Open up your eyes. What we're going to do is, we're going to move to a candle light time. Hopefully, when you came in, y'all got a candle. If not, um, in a minute you can head up and go grab one. But what you're going to do with this candle, um, I'm going to give you a couple instructions and I'll talk about why this is significant. First, the instructions. When you get the candle, hold it upright, please. Um, wax does bad things to stuff it falls on. So keep it held upright. There will be someone that's going to come to light your candle, tip your candle into the light, and once yours is burning, turn it upright. So the only candle that tips is the one that's not lit, okay? Once it's lit, it's held upright. And then just hold it. Don't blow on it. Don't try and, you know, create things where the wax falls. Just just hold it nice and steady and let it burn. I want to say this. I know there's a lot of children here with us this morning. welcome. We love kids. Kids are welcome to this. Uh, it's up to the parents' discretion. I would just ask parents, you just kind of keep an eye on your children and make sure uh, that, that is, they're, they're used appropriately. But as the candle burns, as the candle burns, as we're lighting, you're going to see a video just kind of reminding us of Jesus as the light of the world, that we're going to sing Silent Night. As the candle burns and as we sing this song, here's the invitation I want to make to you. For some of you in this room, this message of Jesus may be brand new to you. And we as a church, we love rolling the red carpet out for those of you that it's new, too. We love it. We love walking with people that are foreign to the scriptures, that don't understand what all this is about. But maybe this morning, that's you. And you, something clicked with you. Your eyes opened up this morning. Here's the thing as that candle burns, all you've got to do is say, you know what? I'm a sinner. Jesus is the Son of God. I trust him. When you do that, it's that simple. You become his child. You're brought into his family. You're made new, the scriptures say. You're alive and have eternal life. So for some of you, as this candle burns, that's what, this is the time, and maybe you're gonna move for the first time from darkness to light. And we would rejoice with you if you do that. Others of you, there's a second group in this room, and this group, my heart is heavy for. I've been praying for this group all week. There's some of you in here who you've prayed a prayer like that in the past, you come to church even regularly, maybe, at least twice a month. You would tell people that you're a Christian, but the desires for God are cold in your heart. You don't find yourself drawn to him. You don't find yourself thinking about him. You don't find yourself having conversations with him, except when maybe you're angry at him. You're distant. You're cold towards him. There's nothing burning in you You know, when I fell in love with my wife, there was something inside of me that that, that twitter pated is that the word, right? Something inside of me that begins to kick in. When you're in love with Jesus, there's something inside of you that's going to come alive. So maybe for you this morning, this light that is burning needs to open up your eyes to see, you know what? I don't want to play a game. I don't want to play a game at all. God, I love you. I'm stepping towards you maybe afresh and anew. And then for others of you, others of you, man, you're walking around in here and you came in here, you were flying high, you love Christmas, Jesus comes, this is awesome, it deepens your relationship. May this light just remind you of the light that's opened your eyes and may you see afresh as you you sing this song this morning, listen to these beautiful little girls that are about ready to take the stage down here and and allow this to just challenge you to say, man, I'm in God's family. Allow it to deepen your love for him. So that's it. Let me pray for us, if you allow me. When I'm done praying, we'll light the candles and then move into some singing. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for revealing your son to us. God, this passage in Isaiah that you gave us 700 years before you were born, how cool is that? God, you knew what was coming. You knew what was going to happen. A baby born in a manger to a woman out of wedlock To a virgin, (laughs) Um, to poverty, to brokenness. You called shepherds in who were outcast. God, but you opened their eyes. God, my prayer right now is that every person in this room would have their eyes opened. As we sing and we watch the light burn, may it remind us of the light that you brought into this world. For those that are maybe brand new to this, God, I pray that they step for the first time by faith into relationship with you. God, for those that have been around a long time, I pray that their heart beats a little faster and is drawn to more appreciation of who you are. God, we love you. Thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. That's in his name we pray, amen.